0: Have you ever watched the sunset with your crush or packed a picnic for a date at the park? Sometimes nature can be pretty romantic. You've heard me talk about how I met Johnny while surfing and how I also love to race him while running. I always say a little competition and most of all, some adventure keeps a relationship exciting. Author Stacy Gold agrees. Stacy is an outdoor romance novelist who knows there's nothing sexier than spotting a shooting star with your partner in the wild. I'm Shelby Stanger, a hopeless romantic, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living, an REI Co-op Studios production. Ever since she was a kid growing up in Atlanta, Georgia, Stacey Gold loved being out in nature. She spent her summer days outside, tromping in the woods and wading in creeks. Her family wasn't outdoorsy, so Stacy joined a Girl Scouts troupe that took her camping twice a year. Those camping trips were just the beginning of her adventures. Now she writes romantic romps set in the great outdoors. A note that if there are kids around, you may want to wait to listen to this one. There's some adult language and plenty of innuendo. Stacey Gold, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. Oh, thank you so much for having
1: me. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: I've never read a romance book set in the wild. I've actually never read romance novels. So there you go. I have (laughs) a lot of living to do in my life. But I read Wild at Heart, and it's really hard to make me blush. Um, I have a very inappropriate uh, 13-year-old sense of humor. And uh, yeah, I turned bright red and started laughing out loud. So congratulations and it's a page turner
1: oh thank you thank you both of those things are such high praise i love to make people
0: blush and laugh out loud <laughs> there's a scene where where there's people um let's just say making out in the wild and there's shooting stars going by and i've had an experience where i was on a boat trip and i've told the story about the boat trip but what i didn't tell was that there was a captain on the boat that happened to be my age and um I just wasn't thinking about men. I was there to write a story about these surfers surfing big waves in Indonesia. And um, yeah, by day four, after watching him get barreled and filet our fish every day for dinner, he took me to the bow of the ship and there was shooting stars. Like there was a meteor shower. I'd never seen anything like that. And it was a really romantic, fun evening I'll never forget. And there was a scene in your book that reminded me of it. So nice work. (laughs) <laughs> thank
1: you. Thank you. And, and I, I think a lot of us outdoorsy folks have, if we haven't had a romantic moment during a meteor shower, we've watched the meteor shower and thought,
0: oh, this would be so romantic <laughs> with somebody else, you know. <laughs> so how did you one day get this wild idea to just be like, I'm going to be the one who writes a romance novel set in the outdoors? So
1: I am, you know, a lifelong outdoors person. I got my first job as a whitewater raft guide back in the late 80s and discovered the whole world of of being a seasonal uh, outdoor guide and, you know, moved out to Colorado and started ski bumming in the winter and got a job with the Forest Service. Um, I was a backcountry ranger. I was a naturalist. I was a river ranger, all kinds of things over the years. I pretty much, I mean, once I discovered whitewater rafting, I was like, oh, I just need to center my whole life around outdoor adventure. This is where I'm my best self and my happiest version of myself. And I had actually not read a romance novel since I was about 16 years old (laughs) until like 10 years ago. I had ended up having my own marketing and copywriting firm for almost 15 years And I wrote a lot for the outdoor industry. Um, I wrote for other people as well, because if someone wanted to pay me well, I'd write it. After 15 years, I was pretty fried and decided to close my business and all of a sudden had time to read fiction again, because I am one of those readers that once I get into a good book, I just put my whole world on hold until the book is done. But as a business owner, that wasn't happening. So I just quit reading novels. And so when I closed my business. I happened to be at the bookstore and they had a sale table out front and I randomly picked up a contemporary romance novel and loved it. And I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. This is like women who have their own businesses and are feminist and you know, don't necessarily need like some guy to swoop in, but there's still always that bit of that in most modern romance novels, no matter what. But at least the woman was able to stand on her own two feet. And it had on-page sex that was great. And the woman was having good sex. And I thought, these are so much fun. And I started reading them kind of voraciously. And I was talking about one to my husband one day. And he said, you know, you should write one of those. And I laughed and laughed. I'm like, A, I don't write fiction. B, romance, me.
0: Eh, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Stacy's being humble. Adventure-laced romance is something she's more than familiar with. Stacey met her husband when she was working at an outdoor gear store in Jackson, Wyoming. The two spent a few days kayaking together and fell in love. Stacey's husband has always encouraged her to push herself both athletically and creatively. Like she said, he was the one who suggested that she try writing romance. Of course, Stacey's books were going to be different from the ones she picked up at her local bookstore. They'd feature badass women, finding men who love them because they're badass not in spite of it. And they'd be set out in nature where Stacy had developed so much confidence working as a ranger, a naturalist, and even as a whitewater rafting guide. You started working in the outdoor industry in college, right? You became a whitewater rafting guide at 19.
1: Yes. And I was actually I was 18 when I got the job, and it was it was super random. I had just started at Georgia State University, and they had a great outdoor rec program. So I started doing trips with them. So I was over in that area a lot. And I wanted an outdoor job for the summer. I was thinking I would probably end up doing landscaping just because I had seen that they would hire women for that. You know, I wanted something physical. I wanted something outdoors. And I saw a sign hanging up that said, raft guides wanted no experience necessary. And I had never, ever been rafting. But I kinda had an idea of what it might be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I knew that's gutsy. I like it. You
1: know, and it was one of those things that it wasn't even gutsy. It was just total ignorance. Like no idea what I was getting into. You were 18. Good for right, you. Right, I was 18. It sounded fun. So the company that was hiring did like a weekend hiring camp where they brought all these trainees out and put us in boats and had us try a little guiding. And and this is like the first time I've ever even been down a river. I am so clueless. I I look back now and I remember everybody hoisting the raft onto their shoulders and me looking over going, oh my God, am I supposed to be doing that? Wait, I I didn't even know that's the next step. I absolutely loved being on the river. Like that just felt so good to me. And of course, at the time I was also tiny. And um, at the end of it, The head boatman looked at me and said, we're not going to hire you because you're clearly afraid to get your hair wet or break your nails and you just need to go back to the shopping mall. Now, mind you, I grew up working in my father's animal hospital, cleaning kennels, hefting 35-pound bags of dog food, you know, like that was so not me. They just looked at me on the surface and then I was quite lost, You know, because I'd never been rafting. I did not know what was happening. But the minute he said that, there was a part of me that really developed around the age of 16 that was, if you tell me I can't do it, I will prove you wrong. So it worked out. I was back at school down in the student center. And another guy that I kind of knew peripherally, who guided for the same company on a different river saw me and said, hey, did you get hired? And I said, no, I didn't. And he said, well, why don't you come over to the outpost on the other river? We're still needing guides over there. Amazing. And I said, okay, great.
0: Were there other women or were you one of like a few or only? I think on the river
1: at that time, it felt like I believe there was somewhere between 500 and 700 guides total. That was on the Okoe River. And I'm guessing that there were maybe 10 or 15 women total
0: back then. Yeah, you were definitely a trailblazer.
1: Yeah, it um, it was pretty crazy. I definitely didn't know what I was getting myself into. But of course, that exposed me to the whole seasonal lifestyle of being in the outdoors. And I met people who you know, traveled to Australia in the winter to keep guiding. And I met people who went to Colorado in the winter and skied instead. And, and I just thought, oh, well, this is perfectly suited for me. I need to be a seasonal worker for a while. And, and I was already trying to get my degree in outdoor rec. Um, but the outdoor rec degree at Georgia State was more about planning parties for senior homes. And, of course, I wanted an outdoor, outdoor rec degree. So I told
0: my parents I needed
1: to transfer to Colorado State to get a degree in resource management,
0: and that was it. Wow, what a great story, Stacey. And thank you. You know, I had one female surf instructor when I was a little girl. It was, it was so important for me to see someone who looked like me in the wild. And if she hadn't paved that path, you know, maybe, maybe I don't know if I would have ever found surfing.
1: Yeah, it makes such a difference to see Someone else, I was so glad that I knew three of the women guides on the Okoe too that worked at my outpost, and another woman who had been guiding for years and was amazing, and everyone looked up to her and she was teeny tiny like made me look big, so seeing this one woman who was tiny and who was just crushing it really helped. But I also did get a lot of enjoyment, especially once I got to be a better guide. There was one rapid where you could knock your front left person out pretty much every time if you knew how to hit it. (laughs) And so if I had a troublesome guy in the boat before that rapid, I'd be like, hey, would you mind moving to the front left? I want to shift the weight around a little bit. And then I'd knock them out and be the one to pull them back in. And uh, it's amazing how differently they looked at me after I was their savior. (laughs)
0: I only laugh because I, I've had one student in the past who was like kind of a pain in the butt. And I think I just purposely like, it was a kid, I just pushed him into a wave where he purled. And so then then he like, paid attention after that. It's amazing. What happens when when someone gets a dose of their own medicine in the outdoors, they get really humbled. And that's part of why I was
1: like, Oh, my gosh, I should set my romance novels in the outdoors. I just think that it's fascinating to put two people who are just getting to know each other into the outdoors where, you know, you're your realest self out there.
0: Writing novels that take place outdoors gives Stacy a lot of material to work with. interesting plot points, beautiful scenery, and plenty of opportunity to crank up the tension. Just think about how many things can go wrong when you're out in the wild. For Stacy's strong female leads, those moments of pressure and vulnerability are the perfect place to add a little romance to the mix. When we come back, Stacy reads us an excerpt from her latest book, Wild at Heart, and she tells us about her writing process. As an outdoors woman herself... Author Stacey Gold writes books about independent women who fall in love and lust in the great outdoors. Stacy's debut novella, Just Friends, came out in 2017. It's the first in a trilogy set at a fictional ski resort. Her latest book, Wild at Heart, is about two backpackers who meet on the Pacific Crest Trail in Washington. Stacey, do you you think you could read us like a little excerpt from Wild at Heart? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love
1: to. I'm actually going to read a bit of the scene where the two main characters, Jules and Evan, meet. Jules is a small business owner. She's super burnt out. She's also an avid backpacker. And she's had a really bad string of luck dating. And she wants a big reset. So this is what Jules has decided to do. She's decided, I'm taking a year-long vow of celibacy. I'm kicking it off with five weeks hiking my favorite stretches of the Pacific Crest Trail in Washington. Evan is from a wealthy family in Boston. He just recently lost his job as a financial analyst. And he's kind of come to the realization that he's really depressed and does not like his life and where it's going at all. And he's just broken up with his fiance as well. And he thinks to himself, the last time I was happy was camping with scouts as a kid. And he thinks, I'll just go speed hike a section of the PCT for a week in Washington. So two people who are on the surface really different, but who are actually really similar, and they're both out there trying to figure themselves out. This is how the two of them meet. Lights out, surrounded by sighing forest and tapping raindrops, Sleep sucked me in the way it had every night so far. No dreams, just thick, heavy, total relaxation. My eyes snapped open for no apparent reason. I held my breath, listening through the rain drumming my tent. A man's voice rang out from feet away, the tone somewhere between exasperated and hopeless. Seriously? Nylon rustled and shifted outside my tent. I exhaled. What kind of dumbass tries to set up a tent in the dark in this weather? Effing goddammit. This time his voice hit a note somewhere between pissed and despondent. The guy wasn't setting up his tent. He was in a full fledged mixed martial arts fight with it. Scrabbling for my headlamp, I unzipped my tent and aimed the beam across the small clearing. Raindrops formed silver lines, obscuring my view. My light caught a bit of reflective material, and a bare leg, and what looked like a pile of fabric thrown over a boulder, but had to be a rainfly tossed over the a-hole who woke me up. Um, hello? What the F are you doing out there? My breath hung like a ghost in the beam of light. Oh, nothing. Just trying to get some shut-eye. Except my tent just broke, it's pouring rain, and I'm soaking wet. And why exactly are you setting up in the middle of the night in a rainstorm? Because I need somewhere dry to sleep. The pile of nylon shifted and settled and the bare leg disappeared. You're going to go hypothermic dressed like that. Tell me something I don't know. The rain pounded down. I clicked off my headlamp and sat in the dry comfort of my tent, staring out into the dark, wet night. The chances of my random neighbor getting any shut-eye out there were pretty much nil. Ditto the chances of me sleeping through the night with his periodic shifting and cussing. The chances of him getting hypothermia dressed like that in 45-degree rain, on the other hand, were pretty damn high. I clicked on my headlamp. Something told me I would regret my next words, but I didn't want his death on my conscience. You can't stay out there all night like that. My tent isn't big, but I can make room for you if you want.
0: Okay, I want to talk to you a little bit more about your writing process. So did you ever take a writing class or go to school for it? Or how did you learn to write fiction?
1: Well, obviously, I had a lot of background in writing nonfiction. So that was really helpful, because at least I knew how to write well. But then I studied a lot. That very first book that I started writing for fun, it was a piece of hot garbage. Um, But during that process, I got a critique partner who worked with me. I went to lots of conferences, took loads of workshops, love reading craft books. In fact, every
0: time I finish writing a draft, I read a craft book. How much of the story do you know is actually going to happen before you write it? Not a whole lot. I usually write like a three to five paragraph
1: synopsis of the story. And then I start writing. So I had the idea for the meat cute in this book with him freezing in the rain. And from that, that actually made me go, oh my God, this is so funny. And I love the way this flips the script on who's got the power and the knowledge and who's rescuing who. But it all just kind of came as I was writing.
0: So talk to me about like, how, how you come up with your characters and take inspiration from your own life.
1: Well, I can definitely say that you know all of my characters have a little bit of me in them. Um, but they also have bits and pieces of lots of my friends. And then I actually, the biggest piece of the work I do before I start writing a book is in fact, figuring out my characters. I have a spreadsheet with more than 60 different specifics listed in it that I go through and fill out. And it's everything from their physical appearance to the type of family they grew up in, the number of siblings, are they rich or poor? Did they go to college? What do they do for a living? What kind of car do they drive? What color is their tent? All kinds of different details. And by the time I'm done doing that, I have a pretty good sense of who these characters are as people, if they were real people in the real world. So if I just know who these characters are, I can set them in really difficult situations that I know will push their buttons and then just kind of let it play out on its own.
0: Stacey's characters usually start off headstrong, heartbroken, or carrying romantic baggage. They often feel unlovable or incapable of love. Over the course of the story, Stacey brings them to a place where they can fall in love with someone who likes them, respects them, and supports them in their adventures. So you do a lot of kayaking and biking and other sports with your husband. What have you learned about adventuring with a partner?
1: You know, I've so fallen in love with adventuring with a partner. One of our early big adventures, we own a 78 VW bus. So it's been with us since the beginning. And amazing. Um, when we've been dating uh, about a year, we loaded up the bus and did a three and a half month road trip all over the United States kayaking. And we were with a group of people, but it was kind of amorphous group. And at one point, it was just the two of us for a couple weeks. We were up in Washington State, huge snow year, so there was a massive runoff going on. And the area we were in, the river was so high, we didn't feel confident running it with just the two of us. Um, because if something had gone wrong, rescue was going to be impossible. So there was all this snow still up in the North Cascades. And I said, why don't we see if we can rent some kind of skis and we'll go ski touring. And this is the guy who couldn't even snowplow, right? And he said, okay, sure. We found some lightweight cross-country gear, went up into North Cascades Park, I totally came up with this plan to bushwhack up this ridge because it looked cool. And we ended up in some steep terrain and had to do some negotiating. And he went in a tree well and there was some excitement and whatnot. But we got out and it was all fine and good. And um, he did not have one negative word to say after all of that. And I just thought this man just like completely followed me on this adventure that he knew nothing about. And he was totally cool with it. Totally had a great attitude. I could keep doing this with him. And of course, now after doing our adventures together for so long, like we know each other's strengths and weaknesses. We know which pieces and parts each other does best. um, And it's so lovely to move through the natural world with
0: him now. But what about adventuring solo, which you've done a lot of? What can that teach us?
1: I think for me... What it really taught me is that I am perfectly capable and competent and happy on my own. I feel like these days, so often I hear people say they don't like to be alone. They don't like to be where it's quiet. They've always got a TV on or the radio going or a podcast or they're reading or the internet something. And when you adventure alone, you take all that away it has made me so at home with myself and so happy to be on my own. And it gave me the freedom to just do the adventures I wanted to do without having to wait to find somebody else who might want to do something that somewhat resembled what I had in my head. I've just done it. You recently kayaked the Grand Canyon. That's so badass. Yeah, it was badass. Oh my god. Gosh, it was so huge on so many levels that I didn't even expect. It was 14 kayakers. We all had everything in our boats. I was the only woman on the trip, um, which is pretty par for the course for me. Um, But it was so wonderful to just be so completely disconnected from the modern world for two weeks and have it all just be about me in this physical space in this overwhelming place that is just so huge it's incomprehensible but everything about that trip especially for like the first four days was so overwhelming I had no idea physically I could even do it but I was like you know I'm going for it because I'm not going to be in any better physical shape a year from now or two years from now putting it off isn't necessarily going to help um So I just went for it, but it was such a great reminder of, you know, what it feels like to be overwhelmed in the outdoors. Um, You know, on day two, I got stuck in a huge hole and was down in there surfing and it was so big that all I could see was white. And I was just thinking, well, I don't really know what's going to happen here, (laughs) you know, and... Random luck of the draw, my husband comes barreling in. Our boats are like 12 feet long, weigh easily 150 pounds with all the gear. I mean, it's like paddling a waterlogged tree down the river. And my husband. He came over the lip of this hole and then sees me in the bottom. And of course, the last thing you want is to be speared in the ribs by one of these. I mean, you'll, you'll break ribs. All kinds of bad things can happen. And somehow his boat scooped under mine and he managed to pull me out of the hole. And he came out of the hole, too, and looks at me and he goes, you look like you needed a hand. And I just
0: laughed. I was like, yes, thank you so much. What skills have the outdoors taught you that you think have just become pretty invaluable?
1: Well, I think the biggest one, and this actually kind of goes back to something you said early on, the things that you do when you're doing these outdoor sports are so much more consequential than most of what we deal with on a day-to-day basis in life. And for um, a lot of years, I had a poster of this big waterfall up on my wall because I had actually run this waterfall in my kayak and it's the biggest single rapid I've ever been down. I have done it three times. When I met my husband, he started dragging me down all these crazy rivers. And my rule with him was I would only do class five rapids if I knew that I could scout them and walk them if I didn't want to run it. And this particular waterfall is on Tallulah Gorge. It's called Oceana Falls. It's down in Georgia. And I forget the exact measurements, but it's about 60 feet of vertical, but it's not straight up and down. It's a big slide. However, two thirds of the way down, there is this giant like wall of rock that sticks up that you simply do not want to hit with your body or your boat because you will break things. And um, we get to this rapid... And I'm scouting it and I'm thinking there's no way I'm running this thing. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to walk. So I look at the people walking and some guy trips or stumbles, drops his boat. His boat slides down and ends up in the gnarly hydraulic hole at the bottom of this thing. The guy himself slides like halfway down before he catches himself again. And I was just like, okay, this is going to be more dangerous for me to walk down this thing. If I run it, it'll all be over in like four seconds and I'll be at the bottom. So I ended up running it. Utterly terrifying, but thankfully the kind of rapid where you key off one thing right at the top and the very first move is super easy and then you're just sort of holding on for the ride. After doing that, I just felt like, okay, really bad bosses, annoying stuff, starting a business, moving, any of that. Yeah, that's nothing. I've run Oceana Falls. I mean, (laughs) nothing else stacks up remotely to that kind of experience so you know it's just given me so much confidence and knowledge that you know what i can do whatever i really want to and set my mind to and i don't need to listen to anybody else
0: stacy gold thank you so much for coming on the show i had a blast talking to you you can follow Stacy's latest releases and adventures online at stacygold.com or on Instagram at @authorstacygold that's S T A C Y G O L D. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger, and I'm actually on an adventure right now. I'm hiking in Mammoth Mountain with Johnny. And yeah, I'm hoping we see some shooting stars. This show is written and edited by Annie Fassler and Sylvia Thomas of Puddle Creative. Our senior producer is Chelsea Davis and our associate producer is Jenny Barber. Our executive producers are Paolo Motila and Joe Crosby. As always, we appreciate when you follow the show, when you rate it, and when you review the show wherever you listen. And remember, some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas.